we invite them to the very safe, orderly experience of coming to church and hearing a sermon. And what they're looking for is to be invited into relationships that are messy and to um, know Jesus. And if we can't pivot and make that shift and do that in ways that still align with our theological commitments, then we're going to miss the boat because that is what they're looking for. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking for too. I'm, <laughs> but I'm not really interested in the beliefs without values either. So I, I think it's a good thing, but I think it's going to test the church because uh, especially the church that the boomers created and the whole mega church model and the attractional model, it is not designed to do messy values discipleship. This is Jane Wilcox, and you are listening to Shecclesiology, Girls Talking Church. Tell your girls a story, I will tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. Today's episode is part two of the Gen Z in Church conversation. Chrisanne leads us into a discussion of how today's leaders in the church can help Gen Zs in making the future church their own. The SHE team thinks together through an important question. How do we see the church changing and being shaped to meet the needs of and to leverage the strengths of this upcoming generation? Chrisanne opens with an analogy of passing down the family business and giving each generation the freedom to make it their own. How might church leaders today do that for those leading the church of tomorrow? Besides myself, Shecclesiology is... Kim Hu. Jennifer Johnson. Chrisanne Swartley. So in part two, we want to talk about how we envision Gen Z making the church their own. Now, my husband, John, grew up in this area where we now live, I did not. I am more of a nomad. About every four to eight years, my family would move. I grew up in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio, kind of all around that that tri-state area. But my husband grew up in this area, and he can trace his lineage back at least four generations here, if not more. And an interesting thing for me to observe as someone who has married into the family and have not experienced that kind of generational stability is the handing down of things from one generation to the next. Uh, John's sister and her family now own and live in the house where John's father grew up, which was owned by his parents, John's grandparents. And I remember what the house looked like when we visited John's grandparents there. But John's sister has made some significant changes to it, some as small as wall paint color, and others as significant as gutting and rebuilding rooms from scratch. So this big old stone farmhouse that dates back to the 1800s, I believe, and one room they recently rebuilt was an add-on off of the living room. They call it the way back. Their grandparents just used it for storage. And at some point there was a roof leak or other kind of damage because the floor was rotting away and the windows and the back door were rotting out. So they emptied that room and they have rebuilt it and they exposed and repaired this beautiful stone wall that was formerly the exterior of the original house. They gave the room a vaulted ceiling 
and repaired the floor, of course, and put in new windows and a new back door. And it, it's unrecognizable, absolutely unrecognizable now. Mm. The first time I saw it redesigned, I was sure they had completely torn down the old way back and built an, a new addition. Uh, but no, they just restored and reimagined an old room. They made it their own. Similarly, my husband, John, works in the family business, um, also on that same property. And it was started by his grandfather and handed down to his father. And now he owns it and runs it. And I remember Steve, John's dad, telling John on a number of occasions that when he took over, he should make the business what he wanted it to be, that it didn't need to stay the same when Steve retired. A number of years ago, when Steve was battling prostate cancer, he said it to John again, that the business was now mm -hmm. his and that he should change anything about it, even sell it off if he wanted to. And as his dad lost his battle to cancer about five years ago now, I thought about those words a lot, that it was such a gracious thing to say to his son, to give him that freedom to just release the future of the business like that, when he had poured so many decades of his own life into it. But he gave John absolute freedom to make the business his own. My point being this, shouldn't it be the same with the church, that each generation must make it their own? that it evolves to meet the needs of each generation and it should leverage the strengths of each new generation. My question sisters for us is this based on our conversation observations so far, how do you think this generation will make the church their own? How do you see the church changing and being shaped to meet the needs of this generation and to leverage the strengths of this generation? Well, I was also struck um, by what I saw in some of these answers about, I'll just read, I'll just read one. This person wrote, we desperately want mm -hmm. to be taught how to live differently because of the gospel. Yes. Um, now, obviously that person is speaking for him or herself. Not everybody out there desperately wants that, but for people who are who are hanging in there with the church, who are showing up, who are answering the survey, they're interested enough to answer the survey. Mm -hmm. um, I think to your, to your question, I think that the church is going to have to reckon with the fact that we have been inviting people to church and not to faith. Mm. And many of us, um, well, I, I could do a whole, I could do a whole sermon on this. I will spare you, but we, we don't even, many of us don't even know what we presume to believe because it's all become, it's become about coming to the church and, and hearing the sermon and agreeing with it and agreeing with some other cultural and um, political and sociological norms. And this generation is not going to come for that if they come at all. As we talked about previously, many of them don't even want to come to the building at all. But if they do, it's not going to be to hear that kind of stuff. It's going to be because they want to encounter mm -hmm. Jesus. And so I think it could be really good for all of us um, to have to encounter Jesus instead of encountering uh, the pithy uh, Bible verses we take out of context or the sermons based on movie series or mm -hmm. whatever it is, however well-intentioned those may have been and however much good they may have done for a season. I think that season is over and um, our beliefs are going to have to become more grounded if we have any hope of 
sharing them or making them um, inviting to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had this thought. I don't know if any of you remember the book Simple Church. It's been years since that came out, but I actually thought about that a lot as I read through the free response answers at the end of the survey that it might end up being more like small groups meeting in homes over a meal. You talk about scripture, talk about how faith connects to your daily life, pray together and exit. It's less about the stage and the worship team and the sermon and the technology and all of that. It's they, they're long, they're longing for connection Mm. and to know and be known and to have faith actually make sense in their daily life. And I don't know that I see that happening in a traditional Sunday morning gathering. I don't know. I don't know. I think sermons are going to move from how to have great marriages, how to raise uh, godly children, how to make wise choices to sermons on how to lament well, how to grieve well. I think they're going to develop rituals of lament that Mm. I'm trying to think if we have any outside of funeral services. But can you imagine gathering together almost like we're familiar with like a healing service? But we don't lament first, right? We (laughs) praise God and then we ask for healing. But to come together and lament for an hour and a half together, I I think there's something there. Given that my main contribution for this podcast that has been hashtag donut ministry, so I'm, I'm I have a really great batting average tonight. So I think what's interesting is um, the church is not Sunday morning. Church, all of church does not, you know, live and die purely on the one and a half hours on Sunday morning. And I think this survey and this topic has reminded us that that longing for connection happens Monday through Saturday too. And so we are to continue to live as this body and life with this growing generation, then we have to remember that our lives are there and open, right? Our lives are ones that are welcoming. That welcoming is not a ministry on Sunday. Welcoming is a disposition that we have always towards the Mm -hmm. other. And so from church to Gen Z, I think there's this hope that there would be a welcoming. And I I think from church to Gen Z back again, I think for me, what I hope is that it is clear that Gen Z cares about the world and that is why they choose to live their lives in that way, to be in the world, to constantly be exposed and like not check out and to not shut down and to keep fighting and to keep wanting a change. I think then for me, my hope is then that the church will like, you know, nothing new, right. To be in the world, but not of it. And I think they're in this, these responses is like, Hey, like we're here. Like we don't want to back down from the fight, but we need to know how to withstand it. And it's like, are you going to, are you going to help us or not? <laughs> are you going to help us with, with that or not? Um, and so I think that there is uh, a lot of admiration, I think, for this generation, their willingness to not give up on the change in the world. And I think my hope is that um, the church then will come back to say, hey, the, 
the change that you're looking for and longing for that is well within the power and the capabilities of church as Jesus' bride as the kingdom comes back. Is it messy and has it not been good? Yes. Is it still possible? Also, yes. Um, what I see in a lot of these answers is um, values over beliefs, values mm. of acceptance, values of compassion for each other and for the, the earth, values of um, diversity, values of kindness, values of welcome, you know, choose your, choose your noun. Um, we really like beliefs. We really like theology. We really like doctrine. And I include myself in that. I mean, doctrine and theology are important, um, but I think that's going to be and has been a sticking point and a source of friction because um, for, for a couple of reasons. One is because sometimes our values and our beliefs are congruent. I mean, you know, we say that we believe love, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, um, care, um, welcoming, all of those things. We don't always practice it. So there, some of the friction comes from the incongruency between mm-hmm. what we say we believe and how we live it out. Yes. But I think there's also going to be friction and has been friction where the values and the, and the traditional Orthodox beliefs don't always match up. Mm. And what I am seeing is that they're, the values win. Um, And we can talk about why that might be or how we feel about that or whether or not it's good or how long lasting that's going to be. But I do think it's a reality um, that, and again, we're, it it goes back to, we, we invite them to um, the very safe orderly experience of coming to church and hearing a sermon. And what they're looking for is to be invited into relationships that are messy and to um, know Jesus. And if we can't pivot and make that shift and do that in ways that still align with our theological commitments, then we're going to miss the boat because that is what they're looking for. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking for too. I'm, I'm old enough to just almost be their mother, but, um, (laughs) but I'm not really interested in the beliefs without values either. So I I think it's a good thing, but I think it's going to test the church because, uh, especially the church that the boomers created and the whole mega church model and the attractional Mm -hmm. model, Mm -hmm. it is not designed to do messy values discipleship. Mm -mm. Hey friends. I want to jump in while I have your ear and let you know that I've recently launched a Facebook page called Ecclesiology Listening Community. My hope is that it creates a space for dialogue among our listeners and with the women you hear on the podcast. I'd encourage you to post your thoughts on the page when something we've said intrigues, compels, or even angers you. Let us wrestle through it together, sharing ideas, sources, practices, and fresh ideas about the church that includes and supports your voice. Search on Ecclesiology in the Facebook app and click join. See you there. Yeah, Jen, as you're talking, it's this idea of ortho- orthodoxy, which is right belief, but orthopraxy, which is right practice. Mm-hmm. And Gen Z has called that out, you know, mm-hmm. black and white. Your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy don't match. And that makes sense. Why would you believe in an orthodoxy when the orthopraxy doesn't match, right? You know, faith mm-hmm. without works is dead. We know that. We see it whole generation can see it and so i think that 
I hope, and I, I think I hope that then Gen Z will know like, hey, there's a space for you to be invited as you share your ideas about orthopraxy would you come and root your and find your your orthodoxy here as well um that we're mm. still working it out together and we can see that the world is evolving and how that practice is also changing um and even like you know we're talking about the the decentralization of a sunday service possibly and gather around the table but um you know no i don't know if people love or pay attention to the benediction at the end of service Right? Isn't benediction like the, a good word? Isn't that literally what it means? A good word, right? You're supposed to take that good word and go out with that good mm-hmm. word, right? And so I think I would hope that there is, however, however we're doing church in the next decade, two decades, that that idea though that hey, we come and we gather, like gathering is still important, but we still hold on to a good word, and then we leave with that good word, right? And that mm. good word that goes with us, right, is not for a rainy day. It's not. A motivational quote is like that's powerful that's what's mm-hmm. enabling us to do the change that we all cross generations are hoping to enact in this world diana butler bass in her book christianity after religion she flips the paradigm in terms of believing belonging and behaving so she would she would say this she would say that in traditional uh, I mean, it, it, I should say, in in modern Christianity or religion, that it's built upon beliefs, mm-hmm. behaving, behavior, and belonging, or sense of belonging, and in that order. So first you believe, so let me tell you what Presbyterian, good Presbyterians believe, uh, and then this is how good pre- Presbyterians behave, and then you get to be a member of the Presbyterian church. I get mm-hmm. to belong. And that's typically the, the, the paradigm that we have understood religion and Christianity. She says you need to flip that in this new generation or in this new paradigm of doing church where first they need to feel as though they belong. Like that's most important to them. Where do I belong? Or she actually changes the question, not just who am I? Am I Methodist or Presbyterian? But whose am I? Who do, what the community, who are my people is how I like to say, who are my people? Who do I belong to? Regardless of what I believe or how I behave, which then gets really messy, right? But once you belong to a people, then you begin to see the patterns of behavior. Oh, this is, this is how we behave. And eventually belief comes along later. But belief is no longer what I believe, but how can I believe? How can I believe in the face of evil? How can I believe in the face of the plurality of how different people live out their faith? So it's this wrestling, this discovery. I connect, I I would say, at least my students, my undergraduates, would connect so deeply with that, the reversal of those uh, three ways of belonging that I think in a sense that they were, were able to some extent reclaim at least the place of religion in society instead of us dogmatically feeding them, whether it's uh, orthodoxy or um, orthopraxy, but it's a matter of a process of coming into religion, a discovery, a growing in the faith, like reclaiming this idea that it's not already set in stone. Like here, here's the package, mm-hmm. take it home, study it, 
and then uh, this is who you are. You're now a Christian. But uh, uh, reclaiming um, some level of discovery and process and journey. You know, what's fascinating as you're talking, Jane, is that's exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. Mm. He said, first, you're mine. You belong to me and you belong to each other. Then they learned how to behave, sort of, (laughs) in a very (laughs) imperfect way over those years together. And then belief came along later. These guys Mm. didn't even get it on Good Friday. They didn't even get it on Easter. They got it maybe at Pentecost when the Spirit came. But like... Yeah, I mean, that's what Jesus did with those guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. So it shouldn't be so scary for all of us um, who are so rooted in the former model, but it is scary for the church right now. I think the church is scared of having to mm-hmm. um, say you you belong here, even though you don't affirm, you don't uh, pledge allegiance to our (laughs) our christian flag Mm. and you don't necessarily um do what we think you should do Mm -hmm. scary i always say that young people have the best bs detectors and i think that's definitely something we're seeing with gen z they have a great bs detector and they're not about it they're not going to take it hey thanks for being a part of our listening community at shaklesiology We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about? You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.